Hello everybody, you are listening to The Who Storian, and I should know that because I am Colin Baker, the sixth doctor. You've got good sense, keep listening. Hello, this is Fraser Hines and you're listening to The Who Storian. Hi, this is Yiji Cho, I play Chang Lee in the Doctor Who TV movie, and you're listening to The Who Storian. Hello and welcome to the Historian Winter League. Once again, I am Shannon, and uh, this time I'm going to be joined uh, live all the way from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, with my good friend and a man I know I can trust for a good conversation about all things geeky, Doctor Who, and elsewise. Uh, my good friend and Whovian mentor, Stephen Windsor. And um, Mr. Windsor, um, this is the first of a... Uh, series of shows I'm going to have to do over the uh, medium of Zoom because, uh, well, shortly after I started doing the show, we got another lockdown so that uh, all the, you know, the reason I created the show was to have people over and do it in person. And I have done so with several people, including our mutual friend, Steve Nolan. But um, that all came to an end there last month. And um, because of that, I had to do this online and I was dragged kicking and screaming into the zoom world pretty much. So if anybody uh, has any issues with the sound quality or if there's any drags or anything like that, look, not my fault, people, not my fault. I'm doing the best I can here. So um, you were the first person I thought of Steve, when it came to, um, to doing some shows online um, because obviously you and I have a rich history together, both as good friends and as, uh, as Whovian people, you're the one who got me into Dr. Who. So um You've been on the show before on the regular historian, uh, which people can find in the archives on uh, the historian.ca. But this is your first appearance on the historian winterly with uh, just me. So um, I have uh, welcomed you on, sir. And uh, how is everything going? How is life in Calgary, Alberta, Canada? Cold as hell, isn't it? <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Yes, um, it's cold here. I think we're all in lockdown. Um, I have my two dogs here with me, so if you hear weird noises in the background, like scraping and chewing, uh, that's not me getting hungry. It's it's just the dogs playing. And um, you have um, you have Murray, and Murray is an Irish wolfhound. He is an Irish wolfhound mix, and his sister is Pixel. She's also an Irish wolfhound mix. 
they're about half the size of a regular wolfhound. So they're still pretty big dogs. They're still pretty big. Yeah, they're huge dogs. And <laughs> I also am aware from previous uh, conversations you and I have that um, Murray is big on the growl. He loves that low growl. And Pixel's more of a barker, you were saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if he's looking out the window, if he's bored, he'll be looking out the window. And then all of a sudden you'll hear this... And you know, there's another dog out there, or maybe a cat or a magpie, and he's not happy, and he's just letting everyone know. To be fair, I think a lot of people right now are looking at the window growling. That's what I think. That yeah, that's, that's, a, right that's a worldwide uh, thing going on right now. Everyone's looking out, uh, wishing they could be outside doing something nice with their uh, with their friends, but instead we're in here looking at uh, each other. Through computer screens. But, you know, the miracle of technology. It's funny, too, because only a pandemic could make Canadians in winter wish they were outside. You know? It's <laughs> normally, normally in winter, I stay the hell inside, but now I'm looking at it in a different perspective, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of noises, I don't know if the microphone's going to pick it up, but you have two dogs, I have a cat, and my cat has made uh, guest appearances on various podcasts I've done and video shows I've done. Um, yeah. there's actually a YouTube video of myself and my co-host Steve Lake uh, from years ago, in which we're talking about, um, Dr. Who books, one of which you actually gave me the Dr. Who illustrated a to Z a big. Uh, oh yes. And as Classic. I was opening the cover, it said, um, you know, from the library of Stephen F. Windsor. And as I was talking about that and giving a bit of history onto our friendship and how you got me into Dr. Who my cat, which then at the time was half the size she is now bombed onto the table. <laughs> And just made a complete run in. And that ended up being, oddly enough, because we both talked about removing that part of it. But when we put it up with just the cat, this was in the days before really cats took off on the Internet as being like the Internet's favorite creature. But uh, (laughs) I was kind of on the cutting edge of that because when I put the video up, all the reaction was not, oh, you guys are really funny, entertaining, educating, because we talked about the canine special that episode. Everybody was like, look at that cat. The cat just showing up. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so true. People that love from, people love pets. So anything to pets. do with pets is definitely going to be uh popular. Well, I've learned uh, not to um not to edit out any of the sounds of my cats because that <clears throat> that might actually garner me some more views and hits. Who knows? Right? Well that's that's true. <laughs> well, Steve, we're gonna get to um some uh, some some talk about a broad range of things. Um, I, I definitely want to talk about RoboCop, which is a mutual fan. Oh, RoboCop, yes, we're big RoboCop fans. Absolutely, and uh, you're you're you have a big breadth of knowledge when it comes to RoboCop. Um, before we do, let's uh, justify the fact this is a Doctor Who podcast. So let's talk a little bit about <laughs> Doctor Who. Um, okay. In recent news with Doctor Who, uh, it was announced. I believe it is Sylvester McCoy's first season. Uh, is now coming out on Blu-ray, and there was a uh, a trailer, as there always is with the Blu-rays. Uh, of mm-hmm. they'll bring like you know the Doctor into it, and they'll they'll try to do something nostalgic. Now, yes. Sylvester McCoy, when I first met you, he was still the Doctor. Yeah, he was still the current Doctor, and and in many ways, for old school fans like us, he still kind of feels like a recent Doctor. He kind of does, yeah. In a weird way, it still doesn't really gel with the fact that, wow, that was a long time ago, because when the show got placed on hiatus, 
um, you know, obviously his doctor was still the licensed doctor. So yeah. we saw him and, you know, he was the first doctor I was exposed to the expanded universe of Doctor Who, like the comic books and the audio plays, things like that. I, by and large, really got into Doctor Who around the time that he was the doctor. So a lot of the earliest Doctor Who I ever saw, other than what I saw as a kid with Tom Baker on PBS, was when I actually understood what Doctor Who was, it was Sylvester McCoy. So right. I sent you the link. They put up a video promoting this, you know, season 24, which is, you know, arguably one of the worst seasons of all time. <laughs> you know, it, it was not the best. No, but, um, not the best. Boy, that season. was a good trailer. That was yeah, a let's really talk about that trailer, Steve. Good trailer. Because the trailer was a bit stronger than my reaction. Um, I mean, oh, again, I, I've crapped on Sylvester McCoy in a joking way because yeah. Colin Baker's my favorite doctor and Steve Lake's favorite doctor is McCoy. So whenever I am doing a show with Steve Lake, obviously I'm going to take the piss out of McCoy. But that's not yes. to say I don't have a lot of nostalgia for McCoy. Um, you talk about what it was like to see Sylvester McCoy at the age of what, 77? He is, he's got to be in his seventies now. Cause he was, uh, gee, you know, the weird thing is I think when he started playing the doctor, I think he was about the same age I am now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And, isn't that crazy? and I mean, that was over 25 years ago now. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like 25 years of, it does not. no, it does not. But, he, it begins with Mel, who looks pretty good for her age, I must say. She, like, she really holds up, Mel does. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's, you can tell it's Mel yeah. right away. It's, it's, it's a fantastic trailer. They're doing sort of a takeoff on, like, Dragon's Den, or, or uh, what was the one, uh, Shark? Um, oh, Shark Tank. Shark Tank, like, which, let's be honest, uh, Shark Tank is the American's, the American stealing dragon stand from Canada is what it was. Yes. Yeah. That was a, yeah. That was a CBC show first off um, with a lot of the same cast. Um, so she's, she's basically auditioning people because she's some kind of a rich person and she's looking. To she, uh, she, she made it pretty good with her carrot juice. And I guess we should tell people <laughs> if you haven't seen this trailer yet, pause this, go on YouTube, Google it watch it it's fantastic and then come back to to us because we're we're going to spoil it for you but it, we we cannot do it justice absolutely um, i will put a link actually to the uh trailer that's a good idea episode. um so yeah it you know you know it's going to be mccoy obviously because each individual blu-ray release by and large will feature if the doctor's still alive they'll feature the doctor like the ones with joe grant obviously they can't feature john pertley but the ones with the living doctors. Actually, That's true. I don't, so from four onward are still alive. I don't so. know if Tom Baker did any of them. I know that Leela was in one. I don't think Tom Baker has, but again, he's I, pretty old too. Um, he, he's, he's older now. He, he didn't have a lot of involvement in stuff. It's only more recently that he started doing stuff even with uh, Big Finish. Before they had, uh, who was it, John Culshaw doing John Culshaw, the yeah. voice of uh, the fourth doctor. Yeah. Yeah, he he was a late. Yeah, he definitely was more of a late bloomer to the expanded Hooniverse, which is, you know, he he actually says that um, he regrets the fact that he wasn't involved in the Five Doctors. So that's why he's done so many yeah. of the um, get together reunion shows now. Like he's done four or five of the um, 
special Blu-ray or uh, special big finish releases that include all of the Living Doctors, which is tremendous. Yeah, he's but, back in a big way with Jelly Babies. Yes. Yes. So, um, so yeah, the McCoy one is at one stage. She's you know she's interviewing people. And she's discarding people. She's saying, no, like your idea, pretty much a takeoff of Dragon's Den. And then out comes somebody dressed in robes, which you know full well is A mysterious figure with spoons. With spoons. Now, again, if you don't know it's McCoy, just by looking at the figure, you realize it's him when he does the spoons. Yes. And even even the voice when, when he said, hello. Yeah. It, no matter how much he tries to disguise his voice, it's that accent, that voice is yeah. unmistakable. And and then he he does the classic reveal where he just unveils, flips off the cloak, and he's like Mel. And yeah, he's he's got the biggest smile on his face. Well, what got me, Steve, is somebody who was like you were one of the first technically quote-unquote cosplayers you had a seventh doctor brawley umbrella that has the question mark to it i actually that was my i borrowed a few things but i did manage to put together a pretty realistic looking screen accurate costume uh for the for the fan video that we did back in the 1990s uh and the other thing i made was the replica ace jacket with all the, did, the pins yes, and patches did. on it. Yeah, you did. But you had a question mark. You had you had the uh, the jumper, the question mark sweater. Uh, I borrowed that one. Oh, you borrowed that one too. I borrowed that and I borrowed the, the question mark umbrella. Uh, the pants, the jacket, the hat, um, the, the, the scarf he wears around his neck. I still have it here. That's mine. And the, the handkerchief in the pocket and the pocket watch, that, that was all mine. So when he, off, when, when he unveiled the look, because the Colin Baker one that, that they did to um, promote season 23, the Trial of Time Lord season, he's wearing um, clothes indicative of the Sixth Doctor, but he's yes. not wearing exactly the Sixth Doctor's outfit. Now, when I met Colin Baker, he told me straight up that he still has one of the two original costumes for the sixth doctor, but obviously that's not going to fit him now, but no, I guess not. they just, they just, they, they dressed him in sort of clothing suggestive of the sixth doctor's outfit. Whereas with this one, with this video with McCoy, he's literally wearing the seventh doctor's costume. It's it's really, really close. I, one thing I noticed was some of the articles of clothing he's wearing are officially licensed replicas that they sell at the doctor who, exhibit yeah and when you go and see the costumes um parts of it are not the original for example the scarf that's not the original it's actually a replica and that's the one he was wearing i noticed right. it's kind of well, distinct my point but is that they it looks really good yeah it, i mean it, it's as close as you're going to get right and yeah when i sent it to you your reaction was rather intense you said you actually shed some tears I, I did. I mean, seeing when he revealed himself, I mean, seeing Sylvester McCoy and, and seeing, seeing Mel's character again, and they had a few other aliens and, and little Easter eggs slipped in there. Yeah. It, it was really, really nice to see all that. And it was, it was more than just a regular 
oh, there's a, a new Blu-ray coming out. They, they actually had a, a creative story with a bit of humor and special effects. It was a, it was a whole production. It was like a mini episode almost. It really was. And again, like they, they do a bang up job on these um, special Blu-ray introduction uh, and advertisements, but they really went all out for this one. And I wonder if they did that because they know that what they're selling is considered to be a pretty terrible season, but for completists, they're going to want it anyway, regardless. I mean, I, I consider it, you know, it's a terrible season and it's the season (laughs) that I'm glad as much as I'm a Colin Baker fan and, you know, he had left the series. Some of the scripts for McCoy were originally meant for Colin Baker. So Colin Baker's doctor actually avoided being in some crappy stories had he stuck around. That's uh, that's a good point. Yeah. So he avoided that. I'm happy for it. But (laughs) the other part of it is as a completist, I'm like, man, I got, I got to have that season too. Right. I'm going to have to get that because I kind of want as bad as it is, I still want to have it for historical sake that that was McCoy's first season. Well, true. And I mean, it's the best quality that's been released yet. I'm sure there's more and newer behind the scenes information and Absolutely. stuff. So yeah. even if you had an older version, um, you're not going to have the same stuff that this one has, unlike the, uh, the Jaws DVDs that get released every five years yeah. uh, and it's just the same old stuff over we and over. We talked about that, and we should talk about that as well. We, we should, because we're also big Jaws fans. Huge Jaws fans, uh, yeah. I mean, there's things about that drive us crazy, and there's stuff that we love. But, but let's get back to Doctor Who. Yeah, you're, you're right in the sense that, like, for me, example, um, I have, and, and I'm still watching, um, season, well, I call them, you know, the old school in us. I'll still call it, um, for example, uh, John Pertwee season 10. But right. obviously, for the sake of um, differentiating it from the continuing series of the BBC right now, they've kind of redubbed it, at least in North America. They have redubbed it like, oh, this is John Pertwee season four, right? Because this will be the four of the five years he was the doctor, whereas it's considered to be season 10 of the original series. So right. to give an example of, I mean, they're pricey. They're like anywhere from 50 to to $100 in Canada, uh, depending on where you get them. Um, but that being said, I borrowed the John Pertwee season 10 off of my friend, Richie, who is another person I'm going to have on the show at some point. Richie loves to spend money, especially when it comes to Doctor Who, God love him. But... <laughs> Rich spent the whatever it was, $100 for this, you know, this Blu-ray set of, of John Pertwee stories. And it had, you know, the three doctors, because it was a 10th anniversary uh, episode. It had the three doctors on it. Let me tell you something, Steve. I borrowed that before the pandemic, my friend. So that's uh-huh. over a year now. I'm still, because I'm, I'm very much a completist. Uh, yep. I want to get through all of it. I If you go through every director's commentary and um, text commentaries and uh, special features and like documentaries and stuff. If you go through right. all of that again and again and again throughout every story, because back in the day, of course, they were making six part stories and much longer stories and stuff. Oh yeah, man. I'm still, I'm still not through it. I'm still, I'm wow. five. That's a lot of content. I'll have to grab it and see, but I think I'm five of six stories like in and it took me a year. Now, granted, I'm not sitting down watching it every five minutes, 
But I'm still investing a lot of time into this and watching one episode. First, I'll watch the episode itself. Then yeah. I'll watch it with director's commentary, uh, whoever's involved in terms of like some of the stories have more than one commentary track on them. And then you've got the text commentary. You've got the special features. You've got there's so much that is encompassed in these Blu-rays. So I can say that as much as they're probably pretty expensive and they're more geared towards hardcore Hoovian enthusiasts like ourselves, you really get what you paid for with these things. Because when I looked at the reaction from the announcement of season 24 with McCoy, everybody had the same reaction. Yeah, this is a terrible season. Got to have it, right? Got to have it because I want to know I want to know why it was a terrible season. I want to find out more behind the scenes of this, right? Yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> that That's really cool. You know, I think the last uh, Pertwee episode, I don't even remember which one it was now, but Karen bought it for me. And Karen's your wife, for those who don't know. Karen's my wife. Um, she's a big Doctor Who fan. I, I got her into Doctor Who as well. Even though she she used to watch it years ago, a little bit, but now she is you know big time into it. Um, I, I got like one of the stories that Pertwee did, and it's just on DVD. It had a few features on it. It was good. It was really good. Like I had forgotten just how good the stories were back then, and it, it was like a, a good you know series of stories that went back to back with good cliffhangers in between and you can't help but binge watch them so maybe if i had that blue blu-ray that you have i would be watching it like you know every night and i'd be finished sooner but well, uh, you, you would say that but you and i the problem i think with you and i and, and maybe a lot of people is we love too much stuff steve oh hell yeah that's true that's true I'm never at a loss for things to watch or read or, or <clears throat> listen to because I have a very varied interest in so many different things. Like we're talking about Jaws. I have the um, 20th anniversary Jaws on DVD. And when I got it, it comes with a documentary, of course, the shark is still working. Yep. And um, when I got it, I put it on to my, at the time I had a Sony Blu-ray player which up converted obviously the, the um, definition as best it could to, uh, to, to match the Sony standards of Blu-ray. I right. thought it looked beautiful. I thought it looked like it was shot yesterday and the water was so blue and clear. Everything about it was like, wow, they really did. You know, this is a tremendous job. So then not too long after that, think about what a 30th anniversary. That's the one I have. That's the one you have. Now, the one you have and the one I have is pretty much the same thing because all they did was they would same, pour over same, same content features and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mine has a slightly different booklet and different cover art and all that. But, I mean, they haven't done any new interviews or behind-the-scenes no. uh, documentaries or anything like that. Most of the stuff that's come out since is in book form that I've collected. I've got uh, a few behind-the-scenes books and um there's one documentary did you say that the shark is now working or the shark is not working i, I can't remember what's shark is still working there's another independent uh documentary with a name similar to that but i don't think it's not the one included on the dvds 
Do you know the one I'm talking about? No. No. Okay. We'll do some research. We'll we'll figure that out. Um, but the point is that when they make these, like going back to the Doctor Who Blu-rays, a yeah. lot of the special features, I, I you know, I don't know the exact mathematical number, but a lot of the special features that are extant on these Blu-rays are previously released on individual DVDs, for example. Like, for right. example, they obviously are just going to use the same um, already existing documentaries and stuff and, 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 um, and director's comments, especially to people who have passed on since, like Barry Letts and Terrence Dix. They're yeah. going to just take the, you know, what they said back in whenever it was, early 2000s, when they did a release individually of the three doctors and put it onto this Blu-ray. I understand that. But if that was all they did, similar to what, you know, if that was all they did for Jaws, I would be less inclined to pick these up. It's the fact that they add more. There's actually new shot stuff, such as McCoy. Um, there's new shot stuff that they only came out with a year or two ago for these Blu-ray releases, which is fantastic because they could have got away with just saying, okay, let's take, for example, all the stories of season 10 of John Pertwee that we've already released on DVD, which already had its own special features. We'll just collect up all those special features, slap them onto this Blu-ray. That would be enough because then you got people who say, well, at least I got it all in one place, but they actually went ahead and got more special features and, and bulked it up with more stuff. So it's well worth your money, which is... So you're saying they have a lot of behind-the-scenes footage and stuff. Absolutely, now, absolutely, absolutely. I've, absolutely. I've seen yeah. on YouTube, um, they keep showing, I don't know what to call them, the, the new enhanced versions where they add CGI special effects. Yep, yep. So some, do, do the ones you're talking about, do they have yes. any added effects like that? Yes. They do? Oh, wow. Um, not not a lot, like the, um, the John Purby season 10. Actually, I'm going to grab it as we talk. So yeah, bear with go me, because I'm going to grab these Blu-rays. But the John Purby season 10, I believe there's <laughs> one story. I think if I had to remember right, it, it's it's Frontier in Space, I think, that they added some new, new effects to. Um, and I know even though I haven't gotten to it yet, I know that season 23 of the Troll of the Tom Lord season, they actually edited Terror of the Vervoids in such a way as to basically remove all the trial stuff of it and just present it as its own independently, like, you know, just its own story. So, and apparently, I haven't seen it, but apparently, according to the reviews, it really flows as its own story if you just take out all of the other stuff that was going on. Because that, you know, as you remember in the Trial of the Time Lord season, it will be a story from the Doctor's past, his present, and his future. Yeah, and, and it'll be going back was, and forth. And right. it could get a little confusing when you're watching it. Uh, that, that actually sounds like a good idea. It kind of yeah. sounds like uh, they're, they're taking some hints from Lucasfilm and uh, where George Lucas re-edited his older stuff, like like the, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, where they took out the old Indiana Jones at the yeah. beginning and the end of the episodes. Yeah. And even though I liked old Indy, the stories flow so much better now. It's just like one great big long story. And it makes you forget about the fact that Indy's never in any danger. He's not going to die because you exactly. see him as an old exactly. man. Exactly. It, it just feels better. So 
Well, that, that sounds really good. I, I want to pick up the Colin Baker one now because he oh yeah, for is sure, for sure, yeah. Well, again, Colin Baker I, um, and McGann are my favorites. I'm lucky in the sense that with you know, obviously, I want all of them, but as a Colin Baker purist, <laughs> it's it's a weird way of saying I'm lucky that he only did two seasons because I already have one, so I had to just wait yeah. until they, excuse me, until they release his you know his initial season. But um, yeah, like it goes to show you that as much as you and I and, and my former guest and our good friend, Stephen Olin, uh, have crapped over BBC and how they treated Dr. Who, when it comes to it, yes, again, these things are pricey, but they're doing more bang for your buck, uh, than even universal has obviously done with jaws, because like we mm-hmm. said, all they did with the jaws special releases every 10 years, they'll come out with 20th anniversary, 30th anniversary. And it's the same documentaries. Like, yeah. Right now, there's a most recent Jaws, which was a transfer to the 4K format. And I looked at it. They only wanted 20 bucks for it. Now, I don't have any 4K technology, but I looked at it for the sake of, okay, I don't have 4K technology, so it would not play to the specifications that it could because I have like right. a, just a Blu-ray player. But I wanted to see if there was any more new special features and stuff. There's not, man. There's not. They just no. re-released it again in a different format <laughs> and they're just saying here, you know, this is a new version, but the only difference, and I looked at a lot of the reviews for it too, even people who have a 4k TV and have the, the, the capacity and capability of um, looking at it in its intended format in that, in that size, they even say the same thing. Like it's pretty much the same movie. It just looks better. Right. So like mm-hmm. if I already thought that the Blu-ray version or even if I already thought that the DVD version I have, which when I put it on a Blu-ray player looks fantastic, then I'm not yeah. going to spend money for a, yet another version of Jaws if it doesn't have anything new added to it. If they had gone out of their way to do like another documentary of a couple, say say they did a documentary of like, oh, here's another three-hour documentary, uh, new fresh interviews and more insight, that would have been enough. I would have said, okay, I want to see this. Mm-hmm. But That would be good just directly porting one thing to the next, like it's, it's a scam and a lot of people tend to fall for the scam. And I think that the scam talking about Lucas, man, Lucas did that a lot, right? Like, Lucas, like <laughs> yes, he did. He, he was the king of, he uh, was the king, man. Oh, brand new version. No, hold on, hold on. Yeah. We, we've got a new version out now. And our mutual friend, Chris Carter, who was the creator of the star Wars fan club in Newfoundland. Yes. Uh, Chris, Every time Chris has the original trilogy of Star Wars, I believe on VHS. Yeah, I believe he said it began with he's got the VHS tapes, obviously, the box set of VHS yeah. tapes. He's got the DVDs, he's got Blu rays, he's got, I think, six different versions of the same movies because they obviously <laughs> re released. He's got the original VHS tapes individually, and when the 97 came out and they released the special editions. They obviously collected those together and sold them as a special edition Star Wars. Then yeah. he got the Blu-ray or uh, DVDs. Then he got the Blu-rays. And it's like, dude, like at some point you have to realize there, <laughs> unless they make a completely different movie, it's going to pretty much be the same movie with a few added features. That's all it's going to be, right? Like a couple of scenes here and there. That's all it's going to be. And now fans are trying to get high-quality versions of the original as it was seen in theaters. 
to get rid of all the special feature stuff, which uh, I'm, I, I don't mind some of the special effects, you know, the, the updated stuff, but after a while, uh, it's just too much. And uh, I, I think you should just stop messing with it. I, I, uh, now, on the other hand, the Doctor Who clips that I've seen where they've enhanced some of the uh, special effects and fixed it and made it easier to understand what was being done, that, that was kept to a minimal. And it, it actually looks good. It, it really does enhance the stories. So I think the BBC is doing a good job with, with what they're doing. The first time that I paid a lot of attention to modern enhancing of things. Like I know that um, in the early nineties, the DVD release of, and maybe it was also released on VHS, but the DVD release of the five doctors, the 20th anniversary. Well, no, I think that would have been the 10th anniversary of the five doctors. Do you remember they released a, like a special edition of that and cleaned up some of the, special features and some of yes them. yes they did they fixed up some of the uh uh particularly when when i kept switching from one time zone to another i'll call it um they they added some cgi that looked a lot better than the yeah uh, the optical special effects they yeah. originally did when the time scoop would actually grab the doctors they changed mm-hmm. the effect of the time scoop. So it wasn't just a static, like, triangle coming down. It was actually like a swirly CG effect, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they turned into a... Yeah, actually, I was, <laughs> I was, I was picturing the original one. Yeah, it looked good. It, it looked um, kind of looked like uh, if you took the uh, spaceship from uh, Flight of a Navigator and gave it a little twist. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that is an example of the fact that you can enhance something, re-release it, make a bit of money off it, that's fine. Um, but if you go to hell with it, like Lucas says, it's, <laughs> it's a bit much, right? Like, I've always used the example. I don't understand why there's fan... I understand purism. Like, I do understand purists, right? Like, somebody just yeah. wants something left alone, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's not what, you know, it's what you came to love to begin with. I understand that. But I always use the example of Years ago, back in the early 2000s, um, Paramount and CBS and Viacom, um, they cleaned up and added an entirely new enhancement to the original Star Trek. Now, Mm -hmm. again, they both exist, obviously, independently of each other. If you're a fan of the original, you can just watch the rinky-dinky toy effects, or you can go with the enhanced version. Now, I was blown away. I thought that the love and the care... And the passion that they put into it was phenomenal. I thought, boy, they really knew what they were doing. They didn't just present something for the sake of presenting it. They would enhance the stories to make them almost movie quality stories, each individual one. And they did that for every original series episode. So I have no problem with shining something up and making it look different and, you know, sort of changing things with the times. But I do understand that's a slippery slope because you could end up like Lucas has, you can end up just re-releasing something to death and just capitalizing on something and basically really depressing the market for your franchise, like making it so that people are just sick to death of your franchise and all the changes, and you can't keep straight what's supposed to have counted and what's not. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think uh, we have to worry about that so much with Doctor Who. I I don't think they're going to keep 
tinkering with it too much. I think we're just going to have the old versions, and then there's going to be the new enhanced versions. And obviously there's going to be fans that have it on VHS, some that have it on DVD, and now some that have it on a higher quality format like Blu-ray or yeah. 4K or whatever they're coming out with. I I just recently got a Blu-ray player, so I'm kind of late to the game. Wow. For the longest time, DVD quality was good enough for me, but of course... They came out with all three seasons of Sequest on DVD, uh, <laughs> sorry, on Blu-ray. So finally got it, and uh, that's another show I'm I'm currently rewatching. So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so much stuff to watch now. There's so much, man. There's so much. There really is. Like, and with the pandemic, I can honestly say that, like for example, I, I'm a big fan of. Um, I like dystopian stuff. I like. Um, you know, grim and gritty and, and, and serious adult type stuff. Yeah. What I found, like, for example, I bought um, uh, Watchmen, the TV series, the HBO TV series. All right. I'm a big Watchmen fan. I have yet to watch it because my tastes during this pandemic, there's enough going on in the world right now where I'm like, I kind of want something a bit lighter. You know what I mean? Like something lighter. Yeah. And I found myself going back to the 80s. And I know right. that we're going to have a nice conversation about RoboCop in the sense of that's a pretty dark movie, but at least when it was produced in the eighties, as dark as it is considered, it's still nostalgic because it's from the eighties. So that's true. I've just been watching yeah. a lot of frothy, easygoing kind of just like ridiculous eighties stuff because that's just, it's nostalgic and the tone of it is not, it doesn't reflect what's going on outside, you know, in the world today. So yeah. I sit back, yeah. dude, and I watch Burt Reynolds with his big, oh. beautiful mustache yeah. and his long flowing hair and his chest hair popping out. And I watch him just <laughs> driving around in a Lamborghini and a Corvette. And I'm watching like Cannonball Run and I'm watching like, you know, Smoking the Bandit and all this ridiculous old fun stuff that just. <laughs> it's a better time, right? It's a much better time. And I mean, let's talk about it, Steve. Let's get into it. Um, actually, you begin as I grab the Blu-rays. I'm going to grab the Blu-rays now just to make sure I know what I'm talking about. But okay. um, let's begin with when did you first see or hear tell of RoboCop? Like when, when was it the first time you said, oh my God, like, <clears throat> look at this? Um, well, RoboCop came out in 1987. And I think as soon as they started showing commercials on TV, that was the first time I, I heard about RoboCop. I mean, everyone was talking about it. Yeah. If you walked into a bookstore, they had the novelization there. They had a great big life-size cutout of RoboCop. I mean, he, he was the coolest thing. I was, I was like 13 years old, maybe 12, <laughs> 12, 13, you know, and here you have this cool looking robot cyborg guy. And um, I mean, he was, he was way ahead of all the other things. Maybe, maybe the Terminator was the only other robot that I think looked very realistic. Yeah. That was a um, badass. Yeah. Yeah. You know, realistic, badass, clunky, yeah. um, solid. He looked like he was a, a robot that could do some damage and you yeah. wouldn't want to go up against him. Well, in Unlike, the history of, you know, from what I know, obviously we don't know all of it, but mm -hmm. when I grew up, 
the history of robotics up until that point, there had yeah. been like the Battlestar Galactica Cylons that were like bad dudes. Um, they were they were pretty good, yeah. They yeah. were good, but they were obviously like um, like cartoonish. You know what I mean? Like they were obviously yeah. not to be taken yeah. serious. And there was also, of course, Star Wars with you know the robots of Star Wars, but the setting that they were in was these fantasy worlds. Whereas with you know Terminator and RoboCop, you literally had a gritty, realistic. This is you know this is Earth, right? Like this is they're 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 affecting human society and you could really say to yourself wow this is reflective of what's happening in the world right now it wasn't mm-hmm. like a galaxy far far away this was literally like robocop walking around detroit right it, like it right. was set in the near future i don't think they ever actually specifically set the date um apparently in the novel they mention um they mention a rocky movie and they mentioned that sylvester i am I almost said Sylvester McCoy. Sylvester Stallone celebrated his 98th birthday. Can you imagine Sylvester McCoy saying, yo, Adrian, I did it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be, oh, now now I'm imagining like a deep fake video where you're swapping them around. (laughs) Stallone fighting Daleks. Oh, my God. That would be pretty Um, Hey, listen, Stallone ended the Cold War, my friend, so I'm pretty sure he can take out Daleks. Oh, I'm I'm sure he could, man. Um, yeah. So in in the novel, they mention like his 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 age. Uh, so you can kind of figure out it's. I, I think it's set in uh, 2040 something. Yeah. Around there, which seems a little too far ahead. Um, according to other sources, it was supposed to be just a few years in the future. So the first RoboCop came out in '87. And supposedly it was set in 1990, which yeah, sounds a bit more realistic. Well, I mean, my point is that robots were relegated in, in our childlike minds, mm-hmm. watching TV and stuff. They were relegated to a fantasy world. Like you had rarely seen robots, at least, you know, by 1980 standards. Yeah. I had certainly rarely seen robots utilized in a near future social setting it always had been like far off in a distant galaxy because it's science yeah yeah that's, um, that's true you're right this was like the first realistic seeing it in an everyday setting right in in you know our lifetime right. as opposed to on an alien world right uh, and 100 I, or 200 years from now exactly and i um i actually saw term speaking of terminator i saw terminator 2 before i saw terminator 1 because by the time Terminator 2 came out, the parents could kind of not control what I saw, but uh, yes. in Terminator 1, they could. So I wasn't right. allowed to watch, you know, any kind of like violence, <laughs> like, you know, dark, cynical type movies like that. I just was not, you know, my parents were very, um, I'll say conservative, because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with the background of being allowed to watch horror movies. And I mean, even Jaws, like if Jaws wasn't to the level that Jaws was, by the 80s, I wouldn't have been able to rent and watch the Jaws sequels because it's only because my parents knew what Jaws was, right? And and they watched it with me. But, so when RoboCop came out, I mean, yes, there had been other, uh, I'm sure, movies and TV shows with realistic robots, but I never saw them. So that's why RoboCop stood out to me because here was a big, giant 
cyborg whipping out a giant ass gun and just <laughs> blowing people away with it. The Auto Nine. And I think that yeah, totally. people they tend to gloss over or forget that Robocop is a very well done science fiction movie in the sense that it utilizes science fiction in the way science fiction was intended, which is to comment on current society. And they used Robocop to comment on the dehumanizing elements of police and, mm-hmm. you know, like how, the, how do people deal with crime and justice and poverty? They just threw all that into a script and smartly enough, just like, just like the smartest, um, science fiction writers have done in the past, especially with Doctor Who and Star Trek, they managed to underlay these moral themes and then just present it as a fun escapism of of science fiction, just have some fun watching an action movie. But then when you actually decompress it and deconstruct it, you realize, oh, Robocop actually is about stuff, you know? Robocop is actually commenting on super police violence and whether or not we should allow like um, automated systems to take over our security, right? Yeah, it was it was a movie that felt very realistic. It didn't feel as much like a science fiction story as it was more an action movie and you know commenting politically on things at the time. Now a lot of that completely went over my head when I was younger. Yeah, me too. And it's not until you you watch it when you're a little bit older that you start noticing some of the other things like the the corruption going on behind the scenes and and how these these big powerful corporations were making money um, keeping the rest of the people poor, basically. And, I mean, there there's so many themes going on like that. Um they weren't just keeping people poor, but they were perpetuating the cycle because they were keeping yeah. people poor, which leads people to commit crimes, which then Robocop shows up and cleans up, which is a cycle <laughs> of making money, right? And and you're, you're absolutely right. They, they did have a cycle going on there. And and they were doing oh man, they they were they were doing some shady stuff because you remember there were there were two Robocops. There was Robocop himself, Murphy. And then there was the Ed 209 robot, yeah. Yeah. who was supposed to be something that could be mass produced. So there could have been dozens, if not hundreds, of those things. That had no if, morality filter. They, no, they, it was totally like, not. I mean, that would have really been bad. Yeah, yeah. But I think it is more, it has universal themes of police brutality, but it has a very uniquely American theme in the sense that it does comment on the capitalization of American jail systems, because obviously that's a big business down in the States. You have privately run organizations running jails and, 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 and uh, incarcerating people and paying for um, jail guards and stuff like that. They're private, private companies. You know, that's not really so much the case in Canada. Obviously Canada is a bit more social uh, liberal leaning socialism, more so than that, yeah. but the overall themes, as much as it's an American-produced movie, the overall themes are almost universal because you look at it and you go, as an adult, like you said, oh yeah, like this is this is absolutely a commentary on you know, is this going to be the future of of justice? Is this going to be the future of uh, law enforcement? And they he even says that in the poster, the future of law enforcement, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. You know, there, there is that, and it's one of those great movie series that you can watch on different levels. 
you know, you can watch it as just, you know, a fun action adventure and you can certainly mm -hmm. dive into the, you know, the underlying meanings behind it, which is fantastic. Um, so you saw, did you see it in theaters or did you watch it in like the, the first time you saw it? Did you see it as a home release? I, I actually rented it. So <clears throat> in 87, I, I don't remember what else was coming out, but a lot of those movies, because it was still a little bit violent for, for someone that's, you know, about 13 years old. Right. Um, I mean, just a few years previous to that, uh, Gremlins came out. What was that, 84? And Gremlins, holy cow, uh, that was scary, especially the end. Um, <laughs> oh, the original Rambo, uh, let me think. No, the original Rambo was 1981. Rambo, no, no, Gremlins. Oh, Gremlins. Oh, Gremlins. Yeah, 84, 84. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I wouldn't have been watching uh, Rambo. That would have that would have yeah. scared the absolute <laughs> crap out of me. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. you remember the end of Gremlins where... where Vaguely, vague. It's been a yeah. while. Anyway, the, the main Gremlin gets thrown in the vat and right. his skeleton yeah. basically jumps out. And I just about jumped out of my seat. <laughs> I saw that in the theater. So I don't think I would have been able to handle um, uh, RoboCop in, in theater. I actually saw age. so few movies in theaters. The parents were obviously very picky and choosy over what I was allowed to see. That yeah, me too. A lot me too. of the movies that I can think of now that I have memories of seeing, like when they first came out in theaters, mm -hmm. is pretty innocuous stuff. Like uh, Annie, for example, was probably the first movie I ever saw in theaters was the musical Annie. Um, okay. And I got a vivid, 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 vivid memory of um, E.T., for example, and then uh, Return oh, yeah. of the Jedi. The reason why Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars is because it's the first one I was really exposed to. Um, but yeah, anything that, that was actually the first one I saw in theaters, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think because, you know, we were old enough at the time where that was the most recent new Star Wars movie, right? Like Correct. Um, but, yeah, like anything that was any shade of violence to it or suggestive violence or you know whether it be nudity sexuality gore whatever i didn't mm -hmm. see none of that it wasn't until many years later people say to me oh you know for a guy who loves the 80s so much a lot of the classic 80s movies you didn't see until much later and i say yeah i wasn't allowed to see them right <laughs> like i had to wait until i was actually old enough to make my own damn decisions and i could actually see my own movies so i didn't see robocop in theaters either um in fact, I think the first time I saw RoboCop, it would have been a trimmed-down version, uh, which obviously had the teeth pulled out of it, on um, probably ASN. Yeah. Atlantic yeah Satellite uh, I'm pretty sure I saw on ASN as well, yeah. but I believe I did actually rent it probably around 1990. So it would have been you know fairly recent. Yeah. Um, and you know, back in, back in those days, uh, it, it took about a year to two years sometimes oh, yeah. for movies yeah. to get released on VHS. Yeah. It's not like today where, you know, they're out in theaters. Well, not right now due to the bloody pandemic, but, um, you know, they'd be in, in theaters for maybe two, three months. And then all of a sudden it's on store shelves. You can buy it. Yeah. I mean, that, that was not a thing back in the eighties and, and early nineties. No. You'd almost forget the movies before you got them on VHS because it had been so long since you've seen it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, oh, I I had to mention when we talk about ASN, that's the Atlantic Satellite Network. 
which no longer exists, but it was a network that I believe, Steve, it, did it not originate in Nova Scotia? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Nova Scotia. It was Channel 10 in in Newfoundland. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it, it was pretty big. They showed a lot of movies. On, they did, on yeah. They, they, they also trimmed the cost down of, they didn't have any talking heads. It was all just text. It was the first time I ever saw a channel, other than the Weather Channel maybe, that it would be like between movies. They never had actual ads very often. They would have just text. And the text yeah, they had that information scrolling. Information. It was just a blue screen, looked like a Commodore 64 screen yep. with just, a line of text like appearing. Here's the news, and, it, and here's, the, here's the weather uh, in different various areas of Atlantic Canada. And now yep. back to our trimmed down <laughs> PG version <laughs> Of, uh, of 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 action movies like yeah the they, first they time, would trim it down for time and they would cut out all the violence well oh, man, most yeah, of the violence yeah. the first time I saw Predator <clears throat> right uh, was on oh end. I know what you're gonna say I know I've told you the story before I I so know I'm watching Predator and I mean I have, <laughs> obviously I had I, I grew up with you know Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. but he's another guy that made violent movies that I wasn't allowed to watch until I got old enough to make my own decisions. And I thought, okay, screw you, parents. It's coming on ASN. So I just naturally assume it's going to have, like, all the great stuff I heard about. So I'm sitting there watching it, and near the end of it, there is a scene where Arnold rips off the Predator's helmet. Pulls off the the face mask, yeah. And in the original, which, of course, I've seen since, in the original, Arnold's line is, you're You're one ugly. What does he say? Bleeping, bleeping. Right. But... In the original, he says you're one ugly bleep and bleep and like, you know, what it is. But in this version, they actually had somebody dub the lines so that you had Earl say, y'all one ugly. And then when he gets to the actual line, it's some Canadian guy and he just says, boop. So it's literally the weirdest thing in the world. Like they didn't even try to get somebody to try to sound like Arnold. I, I know ASN used to do that a lot. And I think they had one guy that used to overdub the uh the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies because there was <laughs> there was one movie where someone gives him some information and Arnold replies with well that's a bad word. Uh and in in the movie on the TV you just hear him say that's baloney. <laughs> Well, at least like, they actually did. Did they at least try to get somebody to sound like they were, you know, doing an Arnold imitation? From what I remember, they they tried to do an Arnold imitation, <laughs> and it it fit fairly well. You could kind of tell it was edited, but you know. But by the way, while we're talking about Predator, um, yeah, I only recently learned this. I mean, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but this is something that I don't think they ever really talked about. Because uh, they'd have interviews with you know um, uh, the fellow that was in the Predator suit who who only passed away a few years ago. Uh, he was a fantastic Hall, guy. Yeah. yeah, and or Kevin and, Michael Hall or some weird name like that. Um, oh, you got me confused now. But anyway, bef- before I forget what I'm saying, yeah, uh, the Predator sounds the deck. <laughs> sounds do you know who did all those oh my dog just moved <laughs> i i'm not gonna have to i won't do any sound effects otherwise the dogs will start growling 
Do, do you know who did that? No, not off the top of my head. It was Peter Cullen. Was the it same, really? It, the same guy that did the voice of Optimus Prime and all and the movie every trailers. every other character in every cartoon yeah. that we brought. I, I did not realize that. I don't know if he's... I, I might have to watch the credits to see if he's credited. It doesn't surprise me, though, because I know that... Um, I believe he also has credits in Gremlins and, like, all of these weird live-action things where you wouldn't think it would be, like, somebody doing a voice, but he didn't just play Optimus Prime. He would do, like, the voice of, you know, he, a he cat or something like characters that. Characters and, yeah, and, and animals. I mean, him and uh, uh, Peter Welker, not Peter Weller, uh, but Peter Welker, uh, who did the the voice of Darwin on Sequest? He did all sorts of animals yeah. and sound effects for for movies back in the eighties and nineties. It's just so. crazy that that voice acting stuff. Like you just assume it's they're just going to do voice acting of other humans, but then you find out no, no, no. Like a lot of the animal sounds you hear in <laughs> movies were actually humans doing animal sounds. It's kind of nuts. I. I guess it works better. It gives them uh, a little more emotion than uh, just replaying a stock sound effect of a, maybe they of a just cat. Wanna, or... Maybe they just don't want to like run around an animal with like microphones, equipments, and then stuff. You know, chasing <laughs> around some animal trying to get a moo out. Put, putting uh, putting cats and dogs out of jobs, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, cat lives matter. You know. Yes. <laughs> the only really, um, I mean, Predator is a hell of a movie, but. Um, the only real piece of trivia I've always known about tri- about Predator was that that was originally Jean-Claude Van Damme was going to play the Predator. Right. I remember that. And the Predator itself was... The original design? Garbage. Looked completely different. It didn't look nearly as good. And kind of at the last minute, they, they really changed it. And damn, did that work out for the better. I mean, I know that. Um, oh, he looks so good. absolutely did because it would have been too. It wouldn't have been imposing. It would have been just a no. race of like medium-sized, kind of jujitsu type guys. You know, that's all it would have been. It would have just kind of like, oh, what's that new movie that's out now? Or it's coming out? Oh God, I can't remember what it is now. Um, it, it's got some big name actors in it, and it's it's just like people. All all they're doing is jujitsu moves. On an alien planet. Oh, it looks cheesy. Um, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll put a we'll put a link to it. No, we won't. Don't be telling. Okay, me. all right, we won't. <laughs> not my fault. You're an old man. You got brain damage. You can't remember nothing. That's not my fault. Um, all right, we'll just keep it with '80s movies then. Yes, for example, yeah, we will. But I do know that the um, Kevin Peter Hall, whatever his name was, I do know yes. that he also because he was a huge dude. Yeah, I know yeah, he that's also the guy. was um, beloved as uh, Harry and the Hendersons. He was the oh right, yes, he was the Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing that as a kid too, and loving that movie. What a oh, great God. fun movie that is! That Never was seen. yeah, I've I've seen that a few times. They, well, they've done sequels to that now, haven't they? Not to my or am I, maybe or am I getting mixed up? I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, it would be awesome if they did, but they I guess they would have to... They probably CG, 
like whatever Bigfoot they use now, right? Yeah, it could be. Also, I think uh, any any commercials in the 90s and even the early 2000s that called for a Sasquatch, I think they used to use the exact same costume. So maybe that's Probably. what's confusing me, yeah. too. I'm pretty sure he appeared in a number of commercials after, well, the, after um, the movies. My favorite commercials for that, speaking of those type of commercials, the Kootenanny beer ones. Where they're trying, oh God. To, they're trying to outthink Bigfoot. Oh, that's the best. Th- those are those are pretty those good are the too. Best. Yeah, those are great. And Bigfoot is hilarious <laughs> in them, right? Because he's just a frat guy. He's a frat guy, and he's playing pranks on these hunters. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, you're you're in my world now, human. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's. Um, I'm going to look at. Let me see what I, I was. I was going to. No, I'm wrong. It's the. Um, it's the Green Death is the uh, episode I'm talking about that has... Um, and now we're back talking about Doctor Who for those yeah, of you that just tuned cover. in. I'm looking at the back cover, and, like, for example, right? Like, I'm showing it to you now. I know people can't see this, but I'm showing it to you now, so you ready for it. So, again, I don't know... I don't know how much Richie paid for this. I believe he bought this for, like, 100 bucks on Amazon, but I could be wrong, because he has gotten deals in other ones. That's actually not bad because I remember when the Mag- the McGann movie came out. I spent forty five dollars on that one DVD. Yeah, on that one story. Yeah. Oh yeah, BBC are you know they're renowned for price gouging. Oh yeah. They, they used to be like, oh, do you not live in the UK? Well, it's going to cost you ten times as much. Especially if you're be- in Canada. Oh, I've often lamented and ranted, Steve, on on Canada Post. And how Canada Post is complicit <laughs> in just, well, I won't say the word, robbing is the word I'll use, uh, mm-hmm. Canadians of, of hard-earned money for, man, like, if you, if you mail a letter anywhere in the world and send it to Canada, somehow Canada's going to be like, oh, it's a piece of paper. Instead of giving it to our citizen, let's charge a citizen $100 and read this. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, John Purley completes season four. As I said, it's branded as season four instead of season 10. And it concludes the three doctors, Carnival of Monsters, Frontier of Space, Planet of the Daleks, and the Green Death. So the brand new features, in addition to what was ported over from the individual DVD releases, the brand new features are optional updated effects and 5.1 surround sound for Planet of the Daleks. Doctor Who and the Third Man, a feature-length documentary covering the Pertwee era, which I watched and it's fantastic. Keeping Up with the Joneses, Katie Manning and Stuart Bevan return to Wales. Haven't watched that one yet. Looking for Lenny, the life and career of director Lenny Maine. He directed the three doctors. Not much was known about him. They did an entire documentary, which is on this Blu-ray. Let me tell you, Steve, that thing is exhaustive. Like, they went from not knowing much about this guy who was a director, like one episode of Doctor Who, to yeah. like this entire two-hour friggin' gigantic journey that just traces the guy's life story. It's crazy. Wow. Um, the Green Death 1973 omnibus repeat, available for the first time, with a special Blu-ray feature featuring the return of Joe and Cliff Jones. Yeah, because they couldn't get, obviously, John Pertwee to. I think the Green Death is the one that I have, so I just have the single story. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, this is anywhere from 60 to $100, depending on where you get it. And my point is that they were, again, not just porting over. When I say all those special features, that's not including 
because uh, it says on the bottom, each disc features extensive special features previously released on DVD, including making of documentaries, featurettes, rare footage, audio commentaries, infotext, bonus episodes. Oh, yeah, there's also uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures bonus episode that has oh um, that has Matt Smith's doctor meeting um, Sarah Jane and uh, Katie Manning, uh, uh, Joe Grant. Oh, right. Um, yeah, she was in there, too. Yeah. Wow. So, like, this thing, I didn't even know that, that, it, that uh, I just popped on one of the discs, and it was a special feature. And I said, oh, geez, this, this even has, you know, a Sarah Jane episode on this, like a well-known Sarah Jane episode. Yeah. So that's jam-packed full of stuff. No wonder it's taking you a while. Yeah, oh, yeah. And th- that's that's what I enjoy, getting getting something that has a lot of behind-the-scenes and director's yeah. commentary and other commentary. And you can you can just learn everything that happened yeah. about your favorite movie or TV show. And the from, thing from about it is that Richie is not that guy. He's not into the special features or the making of documentaries. And I don't really understand that. I say to him, you mean to tell me you spent, you know, we'll say a hundred dollars. You spent like literally, you know, a hundred dollars, or as we call it in Canada, a brown note. You spent a brown note on this and you only watched the episodes. He said, yeah, that's right. I said, how do you, how do you sleep at night? (laughs) Right. That's, that's like buying a magazine and, uh, Tearing, you know, two thirds of it out and throwing it, throwing it away. I mean, you, that's like that's like <laughs> buying a Playboy magazine and just looking at the naked pictures. That's all it is, right? It's like <laughs> I like, thought you were going to say, and just looking at the centerfold. Well, yeah, well, that too, that too. I mean, <clears> it's actually that's a more apt description. Just looking at the centerfold, and uh, I mean, I I love the fact that we're at a point in technology now because you and I both are from the era of. Doctor Who was so hard to find. So I'm glad yes, that we're at this level of technology now. Like, I'll show you now. Again, people can't see this, but they can look online if they want. Um, the Trial of the Time Lord, Colin Baker season, which I, again, mm-hmm. I'm still watching the John Pertwee, so I haven't even gotten to this yet. Um, in terms wow. of the Colin Baker season two, which was about $50, um, because I believe, well, did this I got this because Richie bought it for me for Christmas. I was going to buy it myself, and then he surprised me. God love him, and um, oh wow, I got it already. So this has the Colin Baker one has uh, extended edits of every episode. Oh, Terror of nice. the Vervoids standalone special edition. I was talking about immersive five point one surround sound and isolated scores on all fourteen broadcast episodes. The behind oh, the boy. sofa. Uh, I, I don't really like the behind the sofa. That's new stuff that they put in. But I find that it's kind of a bit too jokey. They'll get like whoever they can grab to sit down and watch and comment on the episodes, even if they weren't really involved in it. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I, I personally, I'm not a big fan of that. But this one, the behind the sofas have uh, Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant, Bonnie Langford, Fraser Hines, Mark Strickson, and Matthew Waterhouse. Well, uh, behind the sofa with Nicola Bryant would be worth it. Hey, man, we got to tell that story. Um, the writer's room has Eric Sayard, Philip Martin, who just recently passed away, poor fella, Christopher H. Bidmead, and Wally K. Daly discussed the lost season 23. Now, a lot of people don't even realize that when they pulled the plug on what was mm-hmm. originally going to be season 23, there was like scripts that had been done and approved and, and, and money was spent on them. 
So, um, you know, they reversed course and made the whole season a, a trial of a time board season, but that wasn't the original plan. So that is, a, is awesome that people get to find that out if they didn't already know it. Um, the Doctor Who cookbook revisited brave cast members tackle recipes from the 1985 official cookbook, which I wow. have online. I got it as a PDF. It's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, the doctor's table, join Colin Baker and friends for dinner. You know what's funny? I did that. I actually did that. You I actually, you actually did dinner in person with Colin, with Colin Baker. Yeah. Ah, you lucky guy. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. In- uh, I hope you didn't serve him carrot juice. No, sir, I did not. No. Good. <laughs> uh, in conversation, Matthew Sweet, who knows what he's talking about, chats to companion Bonnie Lankford. Unseen studio footage, rare archive discoveries, the Blu-ray trailer, which was Colin Baker on trial, of course, which we've talked about. PDF written archives, scripts, and rare archive material. And again, that's in addition to all the previously released special features that have all all come from the individual stories themselves. So, man, that's a lot. Well, well worth the money. Well, and I'm, yeah. I'm not getting paid to shill, but it's well, well worth the money. Trust me. That's so, good. Well, as a Doctor Who fan, I I feel very lucky nowadays because we do have so much merchandise to yep. to choose from we we have the dvds and the blu-rays yep. the books the magazines the toys and all the other stuff they're coming out with i mean there's there's almost as much doctor who stuff as star wars in in some ways um Maybe maybe a little less than Star Wars and better quality when it comes to the Doctor Who. Yeah, I don't think that. I mean, I'll say it now. I don't think that the BBC is as crass in terms of commercialization to the way that Star Wars is. No, no, they're 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 pumping out you uh, enough to to keep the fans satisfied. Yeah, and uh, but they're not over. um, What's the word I'm looking for here? overwhelming fans with with stuff that there's so much that uh, a few months later you see star wars products for sale in in dollar stores in canada like we are finding here oh yeah yeah that's that's a big thing like oh it's uh, the shelf so much that i mean what are you gonna do right like it but to be honest like there's also the cynicism involved in nobody's making these new star wars movies for any reason other than to produce toys and make merchandise like that. They're not, you can tell that by watching them, that they're not. Yeah. You know, yeah that's, that's their main reason. Story comes second to the fact that let's cram in as much stuff as we can. We can trademark and merchandise, you know, like yeah. as much as we possibly can. So, yeah. but yeah. So speaking of merchandise, like, I mean, Robocop is not terribly merchandise. I mean, I get that it's probably hard to sell to a, to a younger. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can't remember what the rating was right now. It could have been, a, I think it got away with a PG-13. And I think um, it would have been R if it hadn't been for, there There was one death near the end. You know, the guy that gets uh, basically melted by the toxic waste and then he gets hit by the car. Yeah. I, I think his death was a little more drawn out, more graphic. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's not really aimed at kids, even though I'm sure a lot of younger people were watching it. But I mean, by the age of about 
13, 14, I was kind of getting out of playing with toys. And I was more into computer games and, and other stuff. So it, it's, it's hard to think of how much merchandise they could have had other than the movie itself. They would have had the novelization. They would have had the soundtrack. Uh, maybe a few official magazines. Well, they and, had comic uh, series, of course. They had well, uh, those comics. Robocop That's true. Terminator and stuff. I think the thing with RoboCop, though, is it doesn't it doesn't sustain itself as an expanded universe. You know what I mean? Like with Doctor Who. Yeah, there's I'm only so much you. you can do with them. Right. Uh, I think with Doctor Who, I, I and the same can be said for Star Wars and a lot of other franchises. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of compelling characters and. For example, I just finished watching, and I'm going to do a little tiny mini review. Bear with me. Yeah, um, yeah. I just finished listening to a big finish series called Cyberman, and it's uh, I think Cyberman. It, yeah. What was that about? The Daleks. What up, Ching? It it was um, a box set, and it was well. There was two releases: Cyberman One, Cyberman Two. And each individual box set had four stories involved. They were all interconnected stories. Oh, cool. So it was all about a, a kind of newly created storyline where, you know, far in the future, androids and humans came to a, uh, a fight. And similar to Blade Runner, it took a lot of, they took a lot of um, leads almost from Blade Runner. And they had a giant war between the humanity of the future and their own creations, the uh, androids. Yep. And of course, while all this is going on, then bloody Cybermen show up and they're like, Hey, 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 let's exploit this. And <laughs> let's, let, let's secretly take over the entire world while these two idiots are fighting, you know, and it used the original Cyberman, the creepy original Cyberman. The, oh yeah. The stocking face and the, mm-hmm. such an effective, beautiful, like just, when you look back on it, and I know that they've done it in um, in in Peter Capaldi's era, yeah. bringing back those original Cybermen, like they were the ones who were creepy as hell, not, they not were, the robotic looking ones later from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, because they they were more cyborg. You, you realize that they were human at one point and still right. partly human, right? Rather than just pure robots. Um, Yeah, I I love the old ones. It's more effective to take a human actor and put a sock over his head and have him talk in a weird, weird way. And and more it's more crude, but it is also more it's scarier than it's it's a lot more emotional, actually. And actually you can actually see yourself reflected in these things. Yeah, yeah. Um the, the only thing creepier than the original Cyberman voice was have you heard the Japanese dubs of Dalek episodes? No, why would I hear that? What are you talking about? Okay, it is the creepiest thing ever. The Daleks don't sound like the Daleks we know. They they could have just got some Japanese guy to uh you know spout Japanese through a, a voice modifier, but right. no. They sound like creepy, robotic, whispering children. Oh, that is creepy as hell. It is the creepiest thing I've ever heard. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Yeah, I'm going to anyway. have to check that out because that sounds real creepy. Yeah. Yeah. 
But the Cybermen they they use, um, and this this was you know this this box set from Big Finish came out. I'm gonna say around 2009, 2010. Okay, it, it so one of the earlier ones, yeah. It had been sitting on my computer for like six, seven years before I finally said, I got to listen to this. Wow. So I, I finally did, and I believe me, I don't regret it because it's, it's tremendous. Um, using those Cybermen, you know, that, that, that weirdly whispery kind of echoey <laughs> kind of um, almost yeah. whistling kind of voice. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, every five seconds they were going, excellent. Right, like, it is just so much more effective, and you know, it obviously shows a big finish was on top of their game before the TV series, because they were yeah. doing this, they were realizing just how creepy these these versions of Cybermen could be, so, um, long story short is, it is really long, because, I mean, it's uh, about eight hours, right, because it's, you know, two box sets, four hours each, four stories hour um but it tells a tremendous story right and it's it's really indicative of the hooniverse holds up so well as a, a universe you want to spend time in even without the main protagonist being around like in this case the doctor mm-hmm. and the same can be said for star wars obviously and and even star trek like that is one failing of the robocop expanded universe because if you don't have robocop in it that's kind of hard to do new stories that don't involve robocop one of the the greatest parts about it is the setting but that also severely limits it they're they're limited to not just earth but to detroit i mean there's no reason why they couldn't go to some nearby cities or or travel around but it's still set on earth yeah, and the nobody would to care. Earth, Earth technology. Nobody I mean, would care. Would let, let's face it: if the story doesn't involve RoboCop and another robot like Ed Two Hundred Nine, it's it's not that interesting. Yeah, I mean, with the TV series in the mid '90s uh, that was filmed in Toronto, they kind of took the the original movie and they expanded it, and without spoiling too much. Um, there's another character who's who's similar to Robocop in some ways. It's, it's a woman, and her brain gets put into a computer. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't have a physical body like Robocop does, but her mind is melded with this computer. So she becomes kind of, kind of like a good version of Skynet. Um, but she, she has the emotion and the memories of her human self combined it was it was an experiment that went wrong uh and she kind of acts as a a sidekick to robocop in some ways so that kind of expanded the whole thing and gave it a bit of a terminator-ish kind of feel which was neat and then he he still had a human sidekick as well um but they, they really expanded that so they had a whole season of episodes it was I remember now about 22 episodes and that would have come out just after robocop 3 which was a movie that should not have been made um at least with that story we should talk <laughs> about that too but yes you're yeah, right it, it was not good and then the very last robocop um thing that came out um was prime directives which was was a really good miniseries 
Oh, actually, there was one since then, 2014, which I haven't seen. Uh, that's not RoboCop in my mind. That's a reboot. So, right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they have attempted, obviously, with with the television series Prime Directives. Uh, they they've tried to expand RoboCop beyond the mere basis of just being, you know, it just being about RoboCop. Yeah. And that is where it fails because I mean the whole thing rises and falls on the appearance and, and the continuing adventures of RoboCop, you know? Um, so yeah, you're right. It does limit itself in terms of like uh, the merchandise and stuff, but I do remember uh, the comic series was really good. Uh, the various comic series that they did. Um, Dark Horse made their name, Dark Horse Comics made their name on just licensing movie and television properties for expanded stories. So you had, the ability to see like RoboCop versus Terminator on a comic rather than you're right. never going to see that in a movie. So you get to see it in a comic. Same thing as Batman versus Predator and all that stuff. Um, so I remember, you know, the early 90s and, and going to comic shops, I remember RoboCop versus Terminator. And I remember, like you were saying before to me, that you had flipped through it and I did the same. I wasn't mm -hmm. terribly invested in it because I knew that it was not going to come out with a definitive winner, of course. And I also knew that one RoboCop cannot take out a million T-800s, you know. Um, yeah. And I can remember yeah. when I finally did read it, I only read it in full a couple of years ago, and it does not hold up. It's it's really, really kind of just bad. Like, it's, it's not, it's nothing redeeming, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not, mm -hmm. it's not good. And how, how many issues did they do? I think it was a miniseries, maybe four issues, I think. Like, I read it as a, okay. collect, like, as, as a graphic novel, right? So Okay, I so think it's not a terrible investment. It's not like, you know, like that series Namor I tried to get into where I uh, picked it up for free comic book day, I don't know, a decade and a half ago. I remember that. And, I remember when you and, did that. And, like, ten issues later, I'm like, Jesus, is he still trying to get with the... Uh, the woman, like, he, he still hasn't done anything, and it's just crawling along, like, holy cow. Um, Although I will tell you, and I've, I've told you before, because you're, you're big on, you know, like, you've got a background with, with um, naval architecture. You like mm -hmm. stuff from the uh, fisheries, I'll say, or naval. Anything to do with the ocean, sharks, jaws, sequest, right. yeah. So I will tell you, uh, as I have told you before, you gotta watch Aquaman. You gotta see it. It's it's, it's Aquaman. It's it's, it's on, on my list of things to watch now. Yeah, it's on Netflix. You gotta watch it. It's really really good. <laughs> it's on Netflix. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. Featuring. Well, I gotta finish watching Sequest first. No, no, that's okay. On. Featuring um, <laughs> adopted Newfoundlander Jason Momoa. So you gotta see that, right? Right, right. Anyway, so RoboCop. Um, I think that the um, dramatic thrust of RoboCop, the first movie, I don't know that they ever intended a sequel. I think it was one of those things where it succeeded despite itself. And it obviously yeah. succeeded to a point of, you get to a point where you make a movie that turns out to be so surprisingly successful, you have no choice but to make a sequel, right? Like, yeah. yeah, I think I that's what they did. I remember the trailers. I was a bit older, so I remember the... Um, the, the, I remember more about the trailers and the advanced hype of RoboCop 2 more than I yeah. do the first one. Yeah, RoboCop 2 was, it was a good sequel. Um, and 
it's it's similar to the first movie in many ways. There, there's another giant robot uh, that he has to fight uh, near the end. Um, although, it, actually, that was now that I think of it, that was kind of disappointing because Robocop never had a proper, really big fight with Ed Two Hundred Nine. He, he just kind of tricked him. He fell down the stairs, and that was it. And the other one, he blew up with a giant gun. So do you think that have more to do with the realities of you know the, the limitations of the budget and stuff back before. Yeah, I think that that would have been that's that's quite true because they they did everything with stop motion. Yeah. Um, I remember I, knowing that Ed Two Hundred Nine was stop motion as soon as you saw him because he has that stuttery. Almost like uh, old school King Kong kind of stuttered or judder as he walks, right? Like yeah, know. although that that fits with a robot quite well because you you can imagine the robot actually moving like that. I suppose, I suppose. So that was that was kind of that was good. H- have you seen the behind the scenes on how they animated the robot and how they did some of the special effects? No. If if you watch the scene where Ed Two Hundred Nine is shooting his guns, um, you, you see you know, uh, muzzle flashes and smoke coming from the barrels. Right. And if you slow it down, or if you're watching, if you're really paying attention, the smoke is actually just there for like a frame or two. And it's actually just cotton swabs <laughs> that they put, and they're lighting it up with lights. But the, the way it jitters and moves, it, it looks so good. I remember his gun was friggin' badass. Like I remember the whole, yeah. the whole idea of it was like a like a cyborg wild west because you had he was like the mm-hmm. marshal of the town. And instead of having like a big ass belt buckle and a gun, he would literally have the gun in a holster in his leg. It was awesome. And he's thought, yeah. which would then like, you know, they would do the whole scene where he would open up and he pulled the gun out. It was cool as hell. Right. Because it really showed you this dude yeah. is, is a cyborg and like he has. You know, even if it looks like he doesn't have any weapons, he has weapons, right? This is yeah, really they're they're hidden on him. Yeah, his gun was really cool. The the Auto Nine, um, it, it was rapid fire. It could hold a lot of rounds. I don't know if there's any specs on exactly how many rounds he could hold, but it was it was way more. He he would not have to reload nearly as much as his uh, his enemies. No, they really did a great. I mean, that was just that that's cinema magic, right? Because they they really (laughs) did such a great job with the visual effects of Mm -hmm. and the practical effects as well of of demonstrating that dude. And it was always every time he pulled out the gun, it was cool, right? He would like pull it out and be like, oh man, it's coming out from his from his leg, dude. Like that's cool as hell, right? Like that was really awesome. Um, so yeah, Robocop 2 was like more of the same, you know, like it, it really showed you that look, you know, pretty much we're just going to keep doing the same thing where we comment on how society yeah. treats villains and things like that and treats, you know, uh, uh, crime. And then you get three. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I, I'll give some insight here. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, before the um, the most recent lockdown, when I was still able to do this show with having people over um, mm-hmm. in a safe environment... Um, I was at Walmart and you and I are, and actually a lot of people my age now these days, uh, you and I are 
kind of trying to buck the trend of the digital revolution where like, I mean, everything is online and you could just purchase, you know, digital movies. And I'm, I, I have my share, yeah. but mm-hmm. you and I and rich and, and, and friends that we have by and large, um, whether it be in your case, because you're a cord cutter or it be in Richie's case, because he just likes physical media more. Um, we tend to still buy things, physical media, because, you know, you don't have to worry about whether you own it. You don't have to worry about an internet connection. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Uh, you don't have to worry that one day there's going to be a catastrophic failure and all the stuff that you've already bought is no longer going to be in some cloud what, somewhere. What do you um, mean I can't access the cloud? But, but all my movies are there. Exactly. What am I going to so, watch? I was at the Walmart near me. And I believe that they had the first, well, I should say the first, they had all three of the Robocop movies um, on, on DVD for $20, like a, you know, a box set. And I remember I said, okay, I'll keep that in mind. I never did buy it, but I said, I'll keep that in mind. I, you know, followed it away mentally to be like, maybe that one day down the road, that'll be my purchase. But I'm, you know, I'm very cheap like yourself. So I'm always waiting for stuff to go on clearance anyway. So I came home and I, in one of our conversations, I mentioned to you, Hey, like, you know, 20 bucks for the Robocop movies. And you were like, yeah, you know, that's, that's not bad. But you had not seen Robocop three. When you said that shortly thereafter, you saw Robocop three. Yes. I, I, I have, I have everything to do with Robocop except for the 2014 movie. And yeah, for some reason, like I, I remember RoboCop. I remember RoboCop two, and I kept thinking to myself, "What? What was RoboCop three about? I don't remember it." And anyway, I said, "Okay, I, I should watch it." I started watching it, and none of it was familiar. And let me so just tell you, you not, did you own it and just not watch it, or did you just forget that you saw it? I, I never did see it. The, when I watched it. Last month, um, that was the first time I had ever wow. seen it. Wow. Because okay. I have a bit of a, a photographic memory. I would remember you don't seeing have a photographic it. memory, Steve. None of the, Oh, yeah? Yeah. You show me a font. What? <laughs> I, my mind works visually. If, if I see stuff, I remember it. And I remember details of stuff. And I play, I play music by ear. If I hear music, if I see stuff, I remember it. That's true. Yeah. So, so believe me, if I had seen RoboCop 3, I would have remembered it. Yeah. yeah. None of it was familiar. This was clearly the first time I ever saw it. For whatever reason, I never bothered seeing it back in the day. And now I realize why. Because <laughs> it's, it's just really, really bad. Yeah. The, it's not Peter Weller. And the guy doesn't sound anything they're not even trying to make him sound like robocop he's got a big husky deep voice so they didn't like treat his voice electronically to at least make it try to kind of match up to no he's he's got this big deep voice um the the suit well number two they they gave him a little bit more of a bluish hue to to try to make him seem a little bit more i don't know a, a different type of steel like a like a real real sturdy heavy steel or something but uh, his his color in this one again was a little different different actor um 
you you can tell when they when they took the mask off or the helmet I should say the actor had a mask on that was clearly trying to make him look like Peter Weller right like they they were they were trying way too hard yet the voice was not the same the way he moved was not the same they gave him a whole bunch of new things that were it was stupid um they they killed off his partner which yeah, I was surprised. One, I was very surprised when you mentioned she that she should have sacrificed herself to to save people, and that should have been towards the end. Instead, it, it's you know, maybe not even halfway through the movie. She's standing around with a whole bunch of other people. She's the only one that gets shot, and then she dies alone in a church. Like, you didn't do justice to the character at all. I was just really pissed off about that. The story was stupid. You had ninja robots that were way quicker than Robocop. And Robocop can't even see them for some reason. They they never do explain that. They're attacking him. He happens to kill the first one. And then you find out it wasn't just one ninja robot. No, there's another one. And then there's another one. So in the very last battle, it's Robocop against these two ninja warriors that are far more superior than him. And the only way Robocop wins is because of this child hacker who magically hacks their interface and causes them to go berserk. So it was like Wesley Crusher. Wesley said... Basically, basically, yes. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden... Robocop uses this this add-on that you've never seen before. It's a jetpack. He puts on a jetpack, and the cops they are got fighting. Police to sell, Steve. That's why. Guaranteed. I know. I know. They're they're fighting people downtown. Then all of a sudden, he flies in out of nowhere, and they don't even really show what's going on. He's supposedly dropping bombs, and you know, blows up all the bad guys. Oh, it's oh, over. Robocop it's, is carpet bombing people now. Yeah, it's over in like 30 seconds. And then Robocop lands and all the cops are cheering like, yay, we won. And that's the end of it. It's horrible. Wow, wow. I know, one thing I know about Robocop 3, um, I'll take flack, I'm sure, from this, from fellow comic nerds. Um, However, I care not. Um, I'm not now and never really have been a fan of the comic writer frank miller um i acknowledge that frank miller is great at blue collar street level vigilante justice type stories um which is what he made his he cut his teeth really on um on daredevil back in the day he was a phenomenal writer for daredevil he he made Mm -hmm. daredevil go from a spider-man witty wisecracking kind of street level bright spangly character do some dark realistic like like what he did with daredevil is reflected today in the movies and um on the daredevil tv series like that's i'll give him that right um however most of what he's worked on and i don't care like people will say that dark knight the dark knight returns uh, a comic book which has been adapted into a billion things and there's still a lot of um reflections in the new dc animated and dc extended universe like there's a lot of frank Miller's influence in the right. uh, in the dc movies of today i'll say like i'm not a fan of that i think that 
that was one of the most overrated comic series I've ever read in my life. And believe me, look, this is considered by the New York Times to be one of the greatest comic series of the 80s. And, and, and to this day, not too many comic series are even, are even on that list. Uh, Watchmen being another one. But all that being said, I think Frank Miller is mostly garbage, personally. Uh, it's just not my taste, right? Um, he's got a few things. Sin City was good, but I'm not. Again, Sin City was his ballpark. Hard-boiled, realistic, gritty. That's his ballpark. Right. He did the original story to Robocop 3. So I knew that he did that. That's sort of what the only thing I really know about Robocop 3 was, oh, that's the movie Frank Miller sort of broke into making movies long before he did Sin City and the other stuff he's done. Uh, 300, he had a lot of work in, in that too. Um, he started off, again, to use the term cutting his teeth, he, he kind of, to my knowledge, cut his teeth in movies as, hey, I'm a comic book writer. I want to write a screenplay. I don't know if he asked to do it or if they just said, okay, we're working on, we, we need something for another Robocop movie. Let's keep this franchise going. Let's get right. Frank Miller to do it. Um, so a lot of the, it sounds like a lot of the over the top uh, comic book esque type of villainy, which is, you know, involved in having him have a jetpack and stuff. That all sounds like stuff that Miller introduced into the character. Um as well as indiscriminately killing a character the way that is done in RoboCop 3 with his, his partner, that is totally a Frank Miller thing. So I know that Miller is one of those people who won't take responsibility and blames like, oh, network and, you know, like it was all the process of other people and the producers, directors. Right. That, that is a, that's a scapegoat for a lot of creative people who say that if it's good, I totally did it. If it's bad, if there were, yeah, there were script problems from day one, you know, to quote mm-hmm. the Simpsons. Um, so I know that he took such flack for that. And I know it was because as a comic fan, I was reading Wizard Magazine at the time, very dialed into the comic community. Um, I know that he took so much flack for it that he was, I guess, challenged almost to, hey, like, do present what you did for RoboCop or what you allegedly came up with unfiltered from all of the stuff that you claim that the movie studios, you know, force you to do and all that stuff. So I do have somewhere and I should send it to you. I have somewhere. Um, I, I bought it digitally. Um, Frank Miller's RoboCop, which is like his allegedly original treatment turned into a comic to see how different it is from the RoboCop three movie itself. Haven't read it yet. Um, but I definitely will send that to you. Um, okay. So I know it'll be interesting that, to see just how much of it was his idea and how much of it got changed. Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah. Like, who do you blame in that circumstance? You know. Um, but I also know that he took a big hit. You know, in terms of like a professional career for like screwing up what was maybe not the world's greatest franchise, but at least it had two movies under its belt by that point. You know, and and what's uh, what's that? Oh, are you talking about RoboCop? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, th- I thought <laughs> I thought you were talking about uh, he screwed up yet another franchise. Yeah, well, I mean, he did. He screwed up RoboCop it, big time. If if it was him that did the script, because um, it was mostly the script that was really bad. I mean, the the voice. Yeah, the, he didn't feel like RoboCop because of the voice. I mean, the the other characters 
uh, I should say the other actors uh, in the TV series, he, he's got that metallic echo to his voice and he's very flat monotone. He sounds like Robocop. Right. And in the 2001 miniseries, Prime Directives, uh, who's it? Uh, Paige Fletcher? Yeah, the we, we know him as... Um, oh, what was that show we used to watch back in the day? The, uh, the Hitchhiker. Oh, I don't know, Steve, with your photographic memory. Why don't you tell me? Yeah, sometimes I get mixed up, though. Because <laughs> um, uh, so many of those shows are very, very similar. Yeah, Paige Fletcher. Um, he Viper? apparently... Was it Viper? He didn't... What's that? Was it Viper? Viper? No, no, no. So who's Paige Fletcher? Why, what was he in? He... The, I, I mentioned it. The the hitchhiker. Oh, the hitchhiker. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we Soft used to watch porn. that. Softcore porn. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was on Showcase back it was in the TV day. Softcore porn. Yeah. Anyway, he he's a uh, he he's done a lot of stuff, but he had never actually seen the original Robocop movies, and he decided he wasn't going to watch them because he didn't want to do an impersonation of the original Robocop. And he just winged it. He just did his own thing, and it was fantastic. He he sounded like a cyborg that had the emotions just sucked out of him. Yet he was still haunted by memories of his wife, his kid, and in prime directives of his former partner that uh, that's introduced just for this story, uh, a fellow by the name of Cable. And eventually, Cable becomes another RoboCop. So you kind of get to see a RoboCop versus evil RoboCop, uh, which was kind of neat. And another show we used to watch, Forever Night, which yeah. was about yeah. vampires, yeah. early vampires. 90s Canadian another TV show. Another show that the Americans robbed, sir. Because the first time I laid eyes on Angel, the TV oh, show, yes. I went, oh, yeah. You mean like Forever Night? The Canadian. Yeah, no, Angel Angel was was not nearly as good as Forever Night. No, Forever so Night was just well, really well done. But you and I the, could do um, entire podcast series on Forever Night. Forever Night was great. Oh, we should, we should. Anyway, the the main actor from Forever Night was also in Prime Directive, playing a character that was very similar to to the vampire he played before, which was kind of neat. So it was almost like Robocop versus Robocop with this evil vampire guy. He's not actually a vampire in Robocop, but he's pulling the strings in the background. Right. Oh, sorry if I just ruined it for anyone. I just <laughs> yeah. totally spoiled it. Well, um, yeah, so Robocop 3, which came out first? Was it was it Robocop 3 and then the TV show, or was it well, the first? Um the RoboCop 3 came out in 1993. The TV show filmed in Toronto came out in 94. Okay, so it was on the heels of the of RoboCop, RoboCop movie. Okay. 3, and I, I think they probably started production just as RoboCop 3 was maybe coming out in theater. So they, they knew everyone's going to be talking about RoboCop, and right. they were high on the excitement, and they probably didn't realize it was going to be the bomb that it was. The thing that makes it stand out to me when you told me originally, like your review of RoboCop three, I was shocked that, you know, they indiscriminately kill 
his partner because Robocop doesn't have that many secondary characters in it. Like, no, she had been in the first two movies. Like she's his human, you know, confidant almost. And, and yeah. so far as I can remember, like they don't really go out of their way to acknowledge or do anything with his family. Do they like they, they have his family just living on their own, doing their own thing. Yeah. The, well, the TV show kind of dives into that a little bit more where he, he's, He's struggling, you know, does he does he reveal himself to his kid and his wife that he's still kind of alive and he still has memories of them? Right. Uh, and, and they kind of go into that a little bit in RoboCop 2 as well. Um, I, I don't think they actually have any flashbacks to, to his family in RoboCop 3. I think it's just... It's all business. He's just driving around and hunting down these uh, it, the, the bad guys in it were it kind of reminded me of you remember Escape from New York? Yeah. yeah. Where, where Snake Plissken is dropped into New York. So New York is just uh, a chaos wasteland full of these these weird Mad Max like characters. Yeah. Yep. That's what um, oh they gave him a weird name the the scavengers or the scrappers or something. See it, it was so bad I don't even remember and it was only a few weeks ago. Remember, the thing. Well yeah that, that, that's the thing. See I the stuff that I like I have a pretty good memory, but if I don't like it I just let it fade away. Yeah. Much much like you know Jaws four. Uh, Robocop 3 is Jaws 4. Okay. And I'm I'm not a fan of Jaws 4. Jaws 4 was was absolutely terrible. I know that um, 93 was the banner year for Robocop because not only was there Robocop 3 and then shortly thereafter the Robocop TV series, but I'm pretty sure because again, I'm a comic geek. I know this stuff. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that the RoboCop cartoon came out about 93 in the Marvel action zone because it was a short-lived compilation series, much as, you know, like a lot of the 80s um, superhero and friends, you know, all of these compilation shows that would come out in the 80s. They did that in the 90s when there was a RoboCop animated series. Um, and that was sort of packaged along with uh, a Donner Riders animated series, which did not last very long. Uh, and there was a couple I of other ones. I vaguely recall both of them. But... The reason why I even know that, Steve, is because mm-hmm. I was reading comics, of course, at the time in 93. And yeah. every second page would be a house ad. If it was a Marvel comic, it would be a house ad for, hey, hey, hey. You know, check out this new, you know, uh, block of, of, of animated series coming to, you know, a TV yeah. near you this fall uh, on Saturday mornings. And it's going to be the animated adventures. And I can remember by that point in time, because, again, this would have been around the time of RoboCop 3. Yeah. I remember thinking, geez, is RoboCop really like the type of product that you really want to convert into an animated series? Now, again, we're from the 80s, so anything works. But. Even by then, I was thinking, Robocop doesn't really have an expanded universe to work with. You know, there's no, not no, much it, you're going to do. It's going to be Robocop. That's true. There's not much you can do. And the first movie and the second movie were definitely 
the amount of violence decreased with each movie. So the first one was really, you know, lots of violence. Second one had, you know, a fair bit. Third one, no. No, it, it, it was about the same level of violence as the TV show, which, which is the only thing that makes the TV show seem a little different. But, I mean, it's TV. You can't really be showing that stuff. So they instead the, um... concentrate on, on, on the story. Yeah, exactly. I'll send you the house ad because I can actually remember the house ad because okay. it included all of those characters sort of running towards the reader um, in a visual sense. And I remember thinking RoboCop looked pretty badass as a comic book character. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, of course, for animated. But I also realized that they're not going to do an animated series aimed at kids. RoboCop is pulling out a gun and blowing away people like Maybe, and I don't know this to be true, but maybe a lot of the stuff they did for RoboCop 3, we, you know, we had a jetpack and stuff, may not necessarily have been just for merchandise. Maybe they were trying to say, hey, let's broaden the character of RoboCop so that, so that we can animate him and, and expand him and, and put him into other things like, um, you know, like animated, animation and comic books and stuff. That's, that's maybe that was possible. Maybe... Again, I don't know this, but maybe Frank Miller was told up front, look, dude, like we have to, we're, we're trying to like make RoboCop more palatable to other avenues of media rather than just movies every couple of years. Um, and maybe he was told, put this stuff in so that we can, if we can have RoboCop flying, we can at least put that into the cartoon, right? Yeah, rather that's, than, that's quite true. Rather I than was kind of getting out of cartoons at that time, so... I I still haven't found. I, I don't know if it exists online. Maybe if I search on YouTube, maybe I might be able to see some of it. Oh, I've never seen it. I've only no? seen the house ads, like I said, from the comics of it. Um, okay. I do know that they made two RoboCop animated series, and the most recent one was in the 2000s at some point. Again, I've never seen that one either. Um, but... So Prime Directives would have been the last television series, and then yes. they made the movies, right? The the TV movies. Was the TV movies supposed to be a clue up to the TV series? The so okay so uh, the nineteen ninety four TV movie or TV series uh, that was one season, right? So that was about twenty odd episodes, and then in two thousand one they came out with. Prime Directives, which was a miniseries. It was three episodes. Okay. Which I think... Well, you could almost edit it together into, like, one big, long movie, if you want. Was that supposed to be a continuation of the TV series, or was it a different universe? It was... No, it was... Um, they were each separate. So the, the first one, two, and three movies are supposed to be on the same universe. And they are more or less in continuity with each other. Um, the TV show is a little different. It supposedly takes place after Terminator 2, or Terminator 2, <laughs> Robocop 2. Photographic memory. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> you can still have brain farts with photographic uh -huh, memory. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There were script um, problems, according to Frank Miller. Yeah, you just do the same thing. <laughs> there were script problems. Yeah. 
We'll see. But you're telling me that, okay, Robocop's one through three of the movie, that's one continuity. Yeah. The Robocop television series is supposed to be the same continuity? It's it's based on it's very, very similar, but there are some differences. For example, Lewis is not in it. Uh, there's a, a different female cop who's a rookie that uh, becomes She's not partner. playing the same character. Not the same character. No, it's a different character. Okay. Um, in, in fact, the other thing is, I don't know why, but they actually changed the OCP logo. So it, it's clearly not the same timeline it's it's like an alternate version okay. of, of robocop so you've got uh, okay, yet, so three movies are one continuity the tv yeah. show is another continuity yeah television movies are another continuity and the cartoons which i'm presuming the cartoons are its own continuity yes that they've soft and and the new movie with well i'm not new but the reboot with uh, the Michael 2014 King. yeah they're all different that means that they've soft rebooted robocop five times yeah, that's true. Oh my God! When you think of it that way, and that that doesn't even include like the RoboCop comic books, which would obviously have its difference, you know. But but you see, with the TV show and the and the miniseries, they are so close to the movies that they could almost pick up after some of the movies. I mean, the the differences are are so so slight. It kind of fits in really well. Um, yeah, would you 2014, that, of course, was just a straight-up reboot, so there's yeah. no way to fit that into the timeline. But as you're watching it, do you consider that stuff all to be the same canon, or it, do you consider it separate? Um, it's, it's easy. Okay, when I watch it, I know it's not the same canon, but it's so similar, it's easy to just imagine that it's just... It takes place some point after... Uh, Rogue, RoboCop 2 and RoboCop 3 never happened. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. And with the reboot, because as a big fan of, basically a big fan of almost everything, because you and I are big pop culture fans. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a very mixed bag reaction to reboots. Um, some are good. Most are not. Um, yeah. But I also realize that the problem with reboots not working is that you're trying to freshen up something that people already love and you're going to get a lot of resistance to that because if somebody has no problem with the original, it's going to be real hard to do a reboot, which is gratefully why they didn't reboot Doctor Who, right? Like if they had rebooted Doctor Who, which was the original plan back in the 90s, yeah, I don't know if Doctor Who would have survived to this now. Like I'm glad Doctor Who was no. like this unbroken line, right, from the 50 or from the 63 to the present with some, obviously, some time off, but it is, you know, they picked it up with this is now the ninth doctor, and then you go from there. Um, it's the same story, you're right. They didn't reboot the it, which I'm so glad they, they I'm very, did not very do. happy with that. Um, but I also understand, because we talked earlier about you know, when, when they freshen things up with, you know, new visual effects and stuff. Mm-hmm. Technically, that's a reboot. Technically. But probably in the loosest sense of the word. But an actual hard reboot, something that they just say, okay, this is a new version of something that already existed. That is, to me, 
it can be problematic. And I'm, I'm more open to reboots than a lot of people. Some people will just shut down and be like, nope, never happened. But <laughs> I'm open to, okay, like, you know, because again, as a comic fan, I'm kind of used to the multiverse and stuff. So if I don't like it, I just mentally check out and say, ah, it happened in a different universe, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. But you, like, I, I remember mild interest in the RoboCop reboot. And to be honest with you, my interest was primarily the fact that Michael Batman Keaton was going to be in it. Oh, yeah. I watch a lot of movies that Michael Keaton does because he mm-hmm. was Batman. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, he's still sort of living off that cred for me. So, like, that's kind of <laughs> like, you know, that's my thing. But I can remember not being terribly impressed because you had RoboCop, no matter what incarnation, you had RoboCop, eight feet tall, big giant dude. You know, he's got the cyborg look. He's got the robotic voice. He's got the, you know, he's got everything that is so visually dynamic about RoboCop. And they just completely ignored it. That it needed to be, they did a reboot and then decided we need to redesign this, even though RoboCop is burned into the public consciousness as the way he looks. We're going to redesign this and not do it. Like, it's one thing to redesign it and do it better. Uh, arguably, you could say that visually, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies obviously were visually better looking than, you know, than, than the uh, movies that came the before 1960s. that. 1960s. Yeah. Right. So you could visually say, okay, well, you know, I do understand this Enterprise looks pretty sleek and shit. But when you take RoboCop, that was already iconic. And you're going to do a new version. You got to make it better than the original version. And that was not the case. I was really disappointed in how he looked, even how he acted. Like it was more of um it was a gritty reboot, but it just lacked the humor and almost almost wit and intelligence of the original Robocop movie. And I was surprised to find out you didn't you still haven't seen it. I'm I'm surprised I, by that. I've I've only seen a few scenes here and there. I mean what I've seen of it it has a completely different feel, uh, and, and you're right. They completely changed RoboCop's look, Ed 209's look. Um, for, for me, the main character doesn't look like a cyborg. He looks like a guy wearing body armor. Yeah. I mean, the, the, no matter what version of RoboCop they did previously, he looked identical in each version. They kept the armor the mass or uh, the, the helmet, because, everything the same, the gun, even, it even was probably the, the same, car. The same. Like, I don't, I don't think that they spent the budget to resurrect those costumes. I think they just used the same. Wouldn't they have used the same fiberglass models? As I'm, I'm pretty sure they either used bits of the original molds or based it on the original molds. Right. Um, you, you can put them side by side and they're all the same. Right. And if you're a comic book fan, I can tell the listeners that um, RoboCop, if you haven't seen it, kind of looks like a character called um, called um, um, RoboCop. He looks like a character called Night Thrasher from the New Warriors in the 90s. Uh, if you're a comic fan, you'll know what I mean by that. Um, and if you are a comic fan, you probably already know who RoboCop is, because if you don't, 
well, do yourself a favor and Google RoboCop. Right. Like, it's, again, it's one of those iconic, even if you're not a RoboCop fan, like, I'm here to tell you, my my little nieces, you know, are, are not even not even two digits old anymore. Like they're, you know, they're, they're not even 10 years old, but I, I bet you that if I ask them or if I show them a picture, they, they would know just by osmosis, you know, they, who they would know. Oh, that's RoboCop. Yeah. I mean, they, RoboCop they come across was somewhere along the way. So revolutionary when it came out uh, in, in compared to a lot of previous shows that had robots and cyborgs that looked kind of, uh, what's a polite way of putting it? Uh, a lot of them just looked crappy. They, they didn't look functional. You could tell, you know, they couldn't bend over, they couldn't twist, they couldn't move, and they just had stupid designs. Robocop actually looked cool. He looked really good. Which is why and, I say if you're gonna if you're gonna make another Robocop movie, mm-hmm. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, that that's true. I would if if they're gonna do another one. Actually, I think maybe a, a computer animated series might be kind of cool because be then you cool. could yeah. you could do just about anything. You wouldn't be limited. But to let's live wrap action. it up. Let's wrap it up, Steve, with the most recent news in RoboCop. You may not have seen the the remake. Uh, the, you know, like you may you may have scoffed at <laughs> RoboCop three, right. but I introduced you to something that was just as RoboCopy as you wanted it to be. Yep, it had yep. all the violence. It had the gritty nature. It had RoboCop. You didn't know this existed. I was so happy to present it to you. And I only found this out tonight. <laughs> so in 1990, uh, which would have been what? After the first one, before the second? This was RoboCop 2 would have come out. Yes, it was for RoboCop 2. In 1990, the uh, production company that owned the rights to RoboCop, and they were in the process of, of um, advertising RoboCop 2. Um, obviously, it's a Warner Brothers project. Mm-hmm. Um, TBS, the television network, was owned by Warner's, Turner Broadcasting Service. The, uh, <laughs> the heads of, of Warner, uh, in terms of the movie division, wanted to do some cross promotion. So they said, you know what? We also own, we own world championship wrestling. (laughs) What we're going to do is we're going to go to people who were booking the wrestling shows on television every week and, and, and pay-per-views and pretty much force them to find a way to incorporate RoboCop into their (laughs) wrestling shows, which results in some of the most satisfying, entertaining, wonderful era of wrestling when you realize oh my god robocop is teaming up with wcw legend icon sting (laughs) and he's going to be his partner to actually involve himself in a steel cage match so yeah you didn't know about this and i was like oh my god that's right steve don't know about this oh i gotta tell that that was so good that was so good when you when you sent me that video on youtube oh man yeah i had never seen it before it was really well done really entertaining and i i love the fact that they they didn't say he was you know robocop from robocop 2 or you know he was from a movie he was a real 
character in, in yeah, real life. The wrestling universe. Yes. He was, he was just Sting's buddy who Sting calls up and says, hey, man, you want to show up to this pay-per-view and be my backup? You know what hey, I mean? Hey, Murphy, wh- what are you doing Tuesday night? <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> and they obviously, awesome. like, as a wrestling fan, I know the behind the scenes of it. it it's They were forced to do something with RoboCop. And obviously they wanted RoboCop to be prominent. Mm-hmm. They wanted him to really be like um, a good buddy of the good wrestler Sting. You know, like yeah. Sting was the most popular wrestler they had on the, at the time. And <laughs> so they also realized, well, we can't do anything with RoboCop. We're going to put him into an environment where it's wrestling. It's physical. It's physicality. Yeah, you can't wrestle in, in in the robo suit, obviously. Right, we're not going to beat this dude up in a fiberglass <laughs> suit, like you know. So he was extremely limited in what he could possibly do, and in order to stay in character, he's not going to stand there cutting a promo. Like Sting is standing there talking about, "I'm going to, you know, I'm going to win," and you know, I I got a big buddy of mine who's going to help me out. RoboCop has a couple of lines because he's yes. RoboCop, you know, mm-hmm. and. It also, like, when you look at it, you go, well, if RoboCop's going to be your buddy, and this is a cage match with no rules, what's stopping RoboCop from just whipping out his gun and shooting these mothers? You know, like, seriously. But it's, you know it's not RoboCop. It's not Peter Weller. You can tell that. But the funniest thing is they just grabbed some random stagehand guy, and to this day, no matter how many times people have talked about it, and interview the wrestlers involved and the production people involved. Nobody can remember who played RoboCop. Really? No one knows? No one knows. There's some random dude out there that to this day is either too ashamed to say, I was RoboCop for the wrestling, or he like died afterward anonymously. But whatever happened, no one knows who it was that actually played RoboCop. Yet, Wouldn't that be hilarious if, if it turned out to be like some really well-known wrestler and it was like yeah that was actually me that would be awesome hulk hogan would be like yeah by the way you know macho yeah, man I, I put on the robocop <laughs> I'm the robocop brother yeah. <laughs> oh oh speaking speaking of which just just one last thing yeah. did you ever check out that video i sent you it was a 1990s japanese commercial which just randomly featured robocop Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, you yeah, did. yeah, I saw that, yes. And, and, and at the end of it, he picks up the fridge and he walks off I with the fridge. To, yes, I wanted to cover all of the appearances of RoboCop in this conversation. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned that. Like, Yeah, I, I totally forgot about it until just now. Um, It, it was like a chicken commercial, and I don't know if it was, it was Jap- Japan or Korea. No, it was Japan. Uh, because, obviously, you know, I, I don't speak either one of the languages, but... um. It's a, like a chicken commercial, and he comes out of nowhere. He he literally, the kids are watching TV, watching RoboCop, and RoboCop steps out of the TV as, as the mother is preparing chicken for supper, and he, he comes up to him, and he says something. It sounds like, oh, fried chicken. <laughs> and they exchange some words, and he ends up, picking up the fridge and walking away with the fridge. And that's the end of the commercial. It, it's hilarious. It's, it's on YouTube. Anyone, if you Google it, you'll find it. Oh, YouTube is your rabbit hole for that. It but is. Totally. totally. Is that, 
both in the in the Capital Combat, which is the pay per view that he appears at for wrestling, mm-hmm. um, both in that and the Japanese uh, commercial, they kind of did a better job treating Robocop like looking like yeah. Robocop and acting like Robocop than the reboot did. Like they, they actually were like, true. let's live up to Robocop, right? Robocop versus Godzilla. I would totally watch Robocop versus Godzilla. Yeah, you? I would too. You know what I found the other day, actually, just um, off topic? I found one of the Godzilla movies for free on uh, YouTube. We've talked before about how, I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or, or what, but all of a sudden YouTube is flooded with legally licensed, free-to-watch B-movies mostly. Like, it's it's crazy. That's that's crazy. This, uh, this Godzilla movie, uh, when did this one come out? 1965. It's Godzilla versus King Kong. Oh, it's one of the older ones. Oh, those are the best. Yeah. Awesome. But I also rented, um, you know how like with Godzilla, that's like a big Japanese cultural thing. Like that's like their guy, right? Like they always, they always take it pretty uh, hard if somebody else adapts Godzilla. And yeah, every time that there's been like a North American version of Godzilla, there's always a Japanese version as a response to that. So when they came out with the legendary pictures version of Godzilla, which is the most recent Godzilla, which I love, I love all the Godzilla and King Kong movies. Um, when they came out with that one, the response from the Japanese was to do a movie called Shin Godzilla, which is a, um, it's another reboot. And it is supposed to be like, it's, it's basically a reboot of the 1985 movie, which is a reboot of the original movie. Like, all of it is, you know, they've rebooted Godzilla like a billion times. It's a re-reboot. It's a re-reboot, yeah. And haven't seen it yet. Going to update you once I do see it. I have rented it. It was on, speaking of digital movies, it was on Google Play, which is the only digital movie stream service that I that I waste any money on. And even then, not very often. Um they had it on for a dollar to rent. And I said, you know. <laughs> you, you said, I'll buy that for a dollar. There you go. There you go. That's what I was hoping. That was, I was hoping you were going to get to that. We're not going to Oh, you that. knew I was going to. Steve Windsor, I thank you much, sir. Because. Fun. <laughs> I, I was hoping. I was, I was like, can I lead him? You're, 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 you're welcome. You, you, you've been waiting the whole podcast to, to, to get me to say that. That's when your photographic memory comes back to the fore. Yeah, that's right. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Mr. Windsor, <laughs> um, I'll tell you what. I want to tease the fans. Okay. And I like doing movies for Whovians who like movies. Um, right. That's my take off, of course, on the on the uh, movies for people who were, what was it, movies for guys who like movies from back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, yeah, like Doctor Who. I mean, you know, this podcast is about Doctor Who, um, but we certainly like other things and like, you know, we like other geeky stuff. Yeah. Uh, are you going to commit, sir, with me? Are you going to commit to we're going to watch, which I just found on YouTube. Uh, and I'll say it now so that anybody listening can watch this and, and, and catch on uh, yeah. the gritty 1980 movie Street Urban Justice, uh, the movie The Exterminator. I just found this tonight. Both that one and the sequel uh, are on YouTube for free. 
the original was 1980. The sequel was 1984. Uh, these are pre... I gotta think. I think it's post one or two of the Death Wish movies, but it's like the tail end of the 70s, gritty, street, New York City, you know, that whole vibe, right? Like... Mm-hmm. And the yeah, pub that, was, that was popular back then. Oh my God! Yeah, still is now. The, 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 the coming after you know the the death race movies and the yes. uh, the escape from L.A. and yep. escape from yep. New York and all that. It was that post Watergate time frame before the eighties really got visually spectacular and dynamic and neon. Like the eighties <laughs> killed the seventies, right? Like the eighties yeah, had to they get, sure did had to get neon and spandex and bright. Just to kill all that gritty 70s stuff, right? But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I saw the poster for it. And, I, again, that's one of those movies that I'm sure I saw the poster for growing up in VHS stores and stuff. But I was right. not allowed to watch a movie like that. So I saw the poster. And the poster has just this random dude who's got a motorcycle helmet on. And he's got a big flamethrower. And I was like, oh, man, that is like that's 80s baby i mean right i gotta see this and he's gonna light it up he's gonna light it up when i originally saw it i i said boy that looks like the punisher poster from the dolph longren version of punisher it's virtually shot for shot almost the same kind of visual thing so what i want to do is have you back on sir and i want you to watch the exterminator one the exterminator two and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk and dissect these two probably meant to be gritty but probably cheesy um uh classic cult movies from the early 80s from a time when we weren't allowed to watch them so um we're gonna we're gonna do gritty reboots is what we're gonna do that's uh that's a plan man i'm all right i'm there all right now totally up my alley excellent stick around after uh i stop recording um and we'll have a bit of a chat but um for the purposes of this podcast, sir, uh, is there anything you want to um, advertise or mention or anything yourself or your wife are up to that you want to get some eyeballs or ears into? Oh, yeah. Just put me on the spot without giving me a chance to think about it. With your photographic memory. Yes, exactly. Um, no, not I mean, not not really. I mean, with the pandemic going on, we can't go out. And we've just been working on projects. Um, I, I do a lot of desktop publishing and designing and stuff. And my wife does painting. We, we recently got a 3D printer. So we've been experimenting with that, working on stuff. Um, now, we t- tell you what. After the next time, then I'll have an update for you because we, we, we are kind of working on a few things right now, but nothing is finished. Okay. Well, I will also put a uh, link in the show notes to, uh, I believe your wife has an Etsy page. She has uh, an Etsy store. Yeah, that's yep. right. And she a... has uh, Instagram that she posts most of her work works in progress on. Okay. Well, I will, I will put that in and uh... cool. That's that's what I'll do for now. Um, yeah, so we're going to watch Exterminator 1 and 2. Now, tentatively, so far as I checked, um, you know, I saw it tonight, uh, it's free on YouTube. Uh, I, don't, I don't anticipate any problems, but I, and I think that we're going to have a fine time watching both of them. Um, they're going to be great to watch back to back. 
However, if there's any problems, I will update people who listen uh, to this show on uh, my uh, Twitter account, which is at Marshall Lush, um, and also at The Historian. Uh, I will update that if we have any alternate plans. If there's something going on where we can't watch those episodes or those movies, then uh, we'll say so. However, as of right now, it's going to be The Exterminator 1 and The Exterminator 2. So we're going to see how good that is. All right, sir. Um, purposes of this podcast, I thank you. Uh, I'll see you around the vortex, as uh, as uh, Steve Lake would say, and we'll have you back on um, very soon for that. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It was a, a lot of fun, and uh, right now I have to go because somewhere there was a crime being committed. 